If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. It's also there in your worship guide. Ecclesiastes 5. Uh, Throughout this book of Ecclesiastes, the preacher, uh, who I believe to be Solomon, uh, the preacher is going to teach us that there are three great equalizers in life. There's time, death, and chance. No matter who you are, no matter your education, your wealth, the power, your status, time, death, and chance will affect us all. Uh, And so last week we looked at time. This week we were supposed to look at death, but it's Mother's Day. And we were going to have all these babies being dedicated here and, you know, just couldn't do it. So we punted death to next week. So no, death is coming. (laughs) Death is coming next week. Uh, This week we are going to look at what Ecclesiastes has to say about wealth, which really also has nothing to do with Mother's Day, but at least it's not death. So uh, we have a lot of scripture there in front of you, but I'm going to begin by just reading the first verse, and then we'll work our way through as we go along. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is hevel. This is the word of the Lord. You would pray with me. Father, as I saw the, these families and kids up here this morning, um, I was struck anew by just the beauty of your church and that we are all family. Through your spirit, Jesus, you have united us together with a bond that is far thicker than any blood. It's a bond that's been formed together by your blood. And it's a bond that endures for all of eternity. And so, Lord, thank you for my family. And, Father, we ask that you would speak to your children today, and that you would use your word through your spirit and you would speak to us. I pray that my words would fall to the ground and blow away and not be remembered anymore. But, Lord, may your words remain and may they change us. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. So Lauren and I, we bought our first house, which was in Crestwood, just down the road, for $107,000. And it was a charming, small, somewhat dilapidated, lots of character in it house. But one of the things that was really unique about it that we liked is in the dining room, it had some fancy built-in glass shelves that went down. And we... Uh, we decided that we would use those glass shelves to display all of our uh, wedding gifts. I don't know what they give now for weddings, but when we got married, it was china and crystal. And so we had lots of china and crystal. Uh, and the crystal was really nice. It was all this Waterford crystal. There was goblets, pitchers, vases, or different plates. I mean, anything crystal you wanted, it was given to us. And we had it all displayed there. And it actually looked really beautiful with the glass shelves. So we were having some people over for dinner, and I decided to put a red candle on one of those shelves, and and I lit it. Uh, That it's red will be important later. And after dinner, we're in the living room, we're talking, and I hear this little kink, just this little sound. like, huh, what was that? It was probably a dish settling in the sink. It was not. 
It, it was the candle heating up the top shelf, and it was beginning to crack. And then we heard what was the loudest and most expensive sound you have ever heard. The top shelf broke, which then broke the next shelf, which then broke the next shelf. And it went all the way down, every shelf broken, every piece of crystal in China broken. And then the candle hit the ground and rolled all the way across our new oriental rug. Uh, of course, we get up, we rush into the room because it sounded like a car had just driven through uh, the dining room. And we rush in there and we just look at the, you know, the carnage in front of us. And I'm looking at Lauren, I'm looking at this. And I knew, like, this is the time, like, the husband says the right words to put at ease everything. And so I looked at Lauren and I said, it was all going to burn anyway. <laughs> To which she responded, I would have liked to have enjoyed it first. <laughs> so who, who was right? Who was right in this? What, what was the right reaction to this? How are we to look at our wealth, our possessions, just like it's all going to burn? Or are we to enjoy them? Or is, are we supposed to do both? Can we know that they're all going to burn and we enjoy them? Let's see what it Ecclesiastes, the preacher in Ecclesiastes tells us about this this morning. He's going to teach us four things about having money. Uh, and we're going to walk through each one of these. And just remember, this is Solomon, so he knows a thing or two about wealth. And, and the first thing that he teaches us here in verse 10 is that you will never have enough money to satisfy you, ever. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is hevel, or a puff of smoke. Uh, in preparation for the sermon, I read a survey in which people were asked, how much money does it take for one to be considered rich? The common answer was more. It was more than whatever they were making. So for those who were making 100000 a year, they would say, you know, maybe 200000 For those who are making 200000 a year, they're like, maybe, you know, three or 400000 For those who made a million a year, they said, well, you need to make millions to be considered really rich. But it was always more. Uh, now, growing up, I watched the cartoon The Simpsons. And by that, I mean growing up when I was in college. I watched a cartoon, uh, but, but in the cartoon, if you're familiar with the characters, there, there's Homer, and then there's Mr. Burns, who's the wealthiest person in the entire city, and at one point, Homer, he went to Mr. Burns, and he said, Mr. Burns, you are the richest person I know, and he said, I know, but I would trade it all for more. I would trade it all for more. We, we seem to always want more, don't we? Uh, for those of you who are working, let me ask you this question. Are you currently satisfied with your salary? I realize it's awkward because some of you are working for some other people here. You probably don't want to raise your hand, or maybe you do. This is the time. <laughs> How many of you are happy or content with your sa salary? Now, keep in mind the salary that you are making now you would have just killed for five years ago. Oh, if I could just make that, you would have killed for it. You're now making it now. Are you satisfied? 
We, we seem to always be wanting more. Even in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve thought they needed the fruit from just one more tree in order to be fully satisfied. Uh, see, our problem is this. We have eternity in our hearts, and yet we're constantly trying to nourish ourselves with temporal things. And Solomon says, you cannot nourish your heart with money. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Now, Solomon's talking about money here, but you can replace that with any other thing. He who loves blank will not be satisfied with blank. Our hearts must be fed with something eternal if they're ever to be satisfied. Do you actually believe that? Um, I realized as I was studying this, by far the, the biggest interpretive issue in Ecclesiastes, and there were so many interpretive issues when, when you're really kind of reading and studying through this. I haven't bored you with 95% of them, but by far uh, the biggest interpretive issue is this. We think we're the exception. As we hear Solomon, it's not so much an understanding what he has to say. We think we are the exception. And that has hit me hard as I've been preparing for this sermon. As I've been studying about the love of money, I was prepared to write a sermon about you. And it became a sermon about me. See, the thing is, we go through Ecclesiastes, and we've already heard the preacher, he talks about, you know, he's talked about work, he's now talking about wealth, uh, he's talked about time, he's talked about how we're on the treadmill of life, and how we're always, you know, endlessly doing laundry, it never ends, endlessly doing dishes, it never ends, it's this treadmill, and here's the main interpretive problem, especially for those who are younger, you're listening to Solomon, you're like, yeah, I get you, but my life's going to be different. My life is going to be all adventure. I'm never going to drive a minivan. <laughs> Any of y'all ever say that when you were younger? Yeah. We just, we, we can't envision our lives going down the road that Solomon says, it's going to go down this road. You're going to struggle with these things. We always think we're the exception. And I have thought myself as the exception to this. This is what other people need to hear. No, this is what I need to hear. Money will not satisfy. That's if you have a lot of it or if you think you just need more of it. The next thing the preacher teaches us about money is that it will not give you friends, but it will give you a lot of freeloaders. Look at verse 11. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. What advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? So the more you have, the more your children, the government, or some freeloaders are just going to take away from you. And I love Solomon's honesty here as he's looking through this. He's, you know, I picture him, he's going outside, he's looking at all of his possessions, and he's like, you know, I've got like 10 different cars, I've got all the ATVs, I've, I've got the lake house, I've got the boats, I've got like, you know, own a restaurant, all of these things, and yet everyone else is using them but me. Where did these people come from? Wealth attracts all of these freeloaders. The more wealthy you come, the more friends you get. Solomon knows from experience. Remember the epic parties that he threw? I mean, he's feeding 15 to 20,000 people a day. Let me ask you this. Do you think 15 
to 20,000 people to show up for a party if there was no food, no booze? Solomon, you're just a great friend and we want to come and support. They're not his friends. They're just coming to get what he has to offer. They're mooching off him. Solomon knows that the wealthier one gets, the harder it is to determine who are actually your friends and who just want what you have. Can I tell you, it's, it's really hard. And this is true for more than just material wealth. You could be wealthy in other areas. You could be wealthy in the connections that you have. Wealthy in your honor. You could be wealthy in your fame or your power. And then you're always wondering, why are people so friendly to me? Is it for me or what I can offer? Uh, I read that Bernie Kosar, you know, is a former quarterback for the Cleveland Browns, Hall of Famer. At one point, he went bankrupt. And at one point, he had 60 different people on his cell phone plan. And they asked him, it's like, who are these people? He goes, I have no idea. But money attracts people. The more money you have, the more mouths there are to feed, and the harder it's going to be to discern who your friends are. Uh, this is a way that you could determine who a friend is, if you're wondering. Will that person speak hard truth to you? Will that person risk offending you? Uh, does this person, is, are they going to speak that, that hard truth, or are they only going to tell you what you want to hear because they want to keep that gravy train rolling? And let me ask you this, in, in the relationships that you have with someone um, who is wealthier than you, do you really see those people's friends? Or are you just saying whatever you have to say to appease those people so you could keep the gravy train rolling? The bottom line here for Solomon is he just noticed the wealthier he gets, the more people there are around him, and it's hard to discern who really is his friend. And next, the preacher tells us this, the wealthier you are, the harder it is to sleep. Look at verse 12. Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. So a benefit of having a job in which you're on your feet all day or, or which you know, you're working with your hands is that when it comes to the end of the day and you are going to bed, the moment your head hits that pillow, you are out because you're utterly exhausted. And Solomon says that's not the case with the rich man. Now, no, the rich man likely needs to take some Tums or some Rolaids because, you know, of all those rich foods in his belly. His belly, belly won't quite get settled. It's hard to sleep. And then the rich man's probably going to need some more medications to make him sleepy to go to bed because he's not physically exhausted enough. At least not enough to override the anxious thoughts that keep spinning in his head. Can't turn off his mind. And this might be because the rich man is, is worried he's not making enough money or he's worried about losing money or because he's just bored trying to think of ways to spend his money. But he can't shut it off and he can't sleep. Always churning. I love my favorite Old Testament scholar is a man named Derek Kidner. Uh, he's, he writes really small commentaries, which I love, but, but he's always so pointed in them. And this is what he comments about this passage. He said, I look at our modern exercise machines, which lets you know how old he is, okay? 
I look at our modern exercise machines and health clubs, and I come to the conclusion that it is one of our human absurdities to pour out money and effort to undo the damage of money and ease. The wealthy person finds it hard to sleep. Uh, The next thing the preacher tells us is that you cannot depend on your money for security because money is here today and it's gone tomorrow. Look at verse 13. We'll read through 17. Therefore, there is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go out again. Naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness and much vexation and sickness and anger. The preacher here is, he's thinking about somebody he knows. I believe this is an actual person that he knows. And the first thing he says um, is that this rich man kept riches and that hurt him. So it was really bad that he had wealth. But then he says it was also really bad that he left what, that wealth left him. Both situations were bad. But he says there's a grievous evil that this man loses his wealth in some bad venture. He doesn't describe what this bad venture is. We have no idea what it is, and that's the point. It could have been absolutely anything. This could have been, you know, he invested in some stocks and the stock market crashed. It could be he invested in the housing market and interest rate soars and nobody's buying houses anymore. It could be he put his money in a bank and the bank folded. We, we don't know. But the result is this. These things happen and we just lose money. It can't be counted on. Anything could happen and you could lose it all in a moment. And so wealth will never provide for us the security that we crave I tell you what, you know, I keep getting, you know, in the news, I'll, I'll read the thing. Don't put your retirement in a 401k. I'm like, why? I immediately, I'm just, what's, what's going on? And I realized my security, where my security is so wrapped up. Finally, the preacher says this, uh, that even if you were to accumulate loads and loads of wealth and possessions, you cannot take any of it with you. You've heard, you know, the, the saying, sometimes it's a, a bumper sticker, but there are no U-Hauls behind hearses. And that's true, but I, I don't want to make light of it. I think sometimes we just try to joke about these things so we don't actually have to think about them. But the truth is, all of us will leave the world just as we entered it, with absolutely nothing. In the end, all, all the toil that you spent accumulating, all of those things, it's just Hevel, the vapor, puff of smoke. Here's the hard truth. You're going to die. There's going to be an estate sale. Strangers are going to walk through your house, casually looking at all the things you treasured, and then move on. It's hevel. The preacher calls this a grievous evil. Uh, Yesterday, I preached a funeral that was here. 
Uh, after the funeral, uh, we had the graveside service, and so I went there, and some of you were at that service. And the last thing I said at the graveside was I said, this man here brought nothing into this world, and he takes nothing with him. From the earth he came to the earth he goes, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. We take absolutely nothing with us. If we try to hold on to it, it's like holding on to the wind. So if money is not going to bring any type of satisfaction, if it's not going to bring true friends or security, what's the solution? Well, the preacher is going to give us his summary statement next in verses 18 through 20. He says, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment. And all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them. And to accept his lot and to rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. I love verse 20. Solomon's honesty here. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. In other words, God's gift to you is that he'll make life go by fast. Uh, this is another one of Solomon's enjoyment passages uh, that are scattered throughout the book. We'll, we'll look some at these. Mostly, we'll, we'll hit this hard when it comes to the conclusion of Ecclesiastes. But the preacher here, he says, there's nothing better, nothing better than for us to enjoy good food and the drinks that we have toiled for. If we're wealthy, be thankful. If we're not wealthy, still be happy. Because God's the one in control of these things. We enjoy what we have. Whether you're wealthy or you're not wealthy, you're still enjoying God's gifts. Notice here that when the preacher is talking about money beforehand, he never mentioned God. And that's his conclusion was all, it's all hevel, it's all hevel, it's all hevel when he never mentions God. But here God is front and center, central to all of his thoughts. Wealth isn't central, God is central, and now all of a sudden there's joy. Joy finally enters in the picture. You see, when you're no longer looking for something to satisfy you, but instead are looking for the giver of that something to satisfy you, you can actually find joy. And what the preacher here is teaching us is that when you no longer need something, you can enjoy it. When you no longer have to have it, you can actually be satisfied with it. You can enjoy all of that wealth because you are no longer demanding from it something that it cannot give you, which is satisfaction for your souls. Take it, leave it, perhaps give it away. Doesn't matter because those things do not have a hold on you. Money, it's just money. It's not your identity. You know, when the rich young ruler came to Jesus and wanted to follow Jesus, what did Jesus ask him to give up? Think about this story. What did he actually ask, ask him to give up? Did he say, I want you to give up your joy? 
I need you to give up your friendships. I need you to give up your security. I need to give up your rest. Did he ask him to give up any of those things? No, he just asked him to give up his money. Jesus was going to give him all of those other things. If he actually had followed Jesus, he would have had more fulfillment, more rest, more security, more fellowship than he could have ever imagined. Jesus was just saying, give up the thing that's not giving you those things and come follow me. And it says that he went away sad. He couldn't give it up. The irony is he walked away from the greatest treasure of all. This is how this preacher ends his discussion on wealth. He talks about how the wealthy, well, they actually walk away from joy. Verse 6, chapter 6, or sorry, verse 1. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God has given wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all he desires, yet God does not give him the power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is hevel. It is a grievous evil. The truth is this. We live in a time and a place where we possess 99% more than all the people who have ever walked the earth. And yet we're still not satisfied. Picture pretty much any person from any other time and place. and We're living a life better than them. Given the choice between going back there or having the life we have, we're like, absolutely, the life we have, so much better. But could, could I just get a little bit more? We still think the solution is to have a little bit more. Solomon says it's all hevel. It's, this is a grievous evil. The solution is not getting more. And the solution is not trying to live with less. The solution is that none of those things matter. Whether you have more or whether you have less. The solution is that, are you going to God to have the eternal desire of your heart satisfied? You know how you're never supposed to go to the grocery store when you're hungry? I mean, I made that mistake uh, not long ago. I decided instead of having lunch, I would go to the gym and I'd work out. And so I finished working out, and then Lauren asked if I would stop by Publix, pick up some, just sliced turkey for the kids for, for lunch. She just needs some deli meat. I'm like, sure, I'll go by and do it. I went into Publix ravenous. So I got the turkey, uh, but while they were cutting it, I also saw the apple fritters. I was like, got to have a few of those. Got the Pringles, got some more Pringles, got some chips, got some other salsa. I just started loading up with things. The only reason I didn't bring home more is because I didn't bring a buggy. It, but it was all I could hold. Filled with junk food. Why? Because I was hungry. I went shopping when I was hungry. This is how some of us go through all of life. We walk through life hungry. And as a result, we're just throwing things in the cart. You know, you're throwing the houses, you're throwing the cars, you're throwing the vacations, you're throwing in the clothes, but you're being driven by this eternal hunger. And all you're getting is junk food. 
And you're wondering why you're not satisfied. Imagine if you went through all of your life already full. Can you imagine that? You go through life and your appetite is satisfied. Think of the wise choices you would make. I could look at something and be like, I could have that or not have it. It's just money. It's just a nicer car. It's just a nicer house. Be great if God gave it to me. Be great if he didn't. It doesn't matter because I'm full. Only Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Only Jesus says, come to me, all who are thirsty, and I will give you living water. Only Jesus satisfies the heart. So who is right between Lauren and I? Is it all all our possessions just temporal and going to burn, or should we try to enjoy them? And the answer is both. Both. But we can only enjoy something when we know it's going to burn, when we're not trying to build our lives on it, not trying to find any eternal significance or meaning in it, but our heart's been satisfied elsewhere. When our hearts are full with the eternal love of Christ, then we can enjoy all those temporary gifts that he gives us. Pray with me. Father, this passage we just read is not about being wealthy or not being wealthy. It's about our souls finding satisfaction in you and then enjoying whatever gifts you give us as we endure this life of toil. You're a good and gracious God to us. Thank you for the many things you give us, but most of all, thank you for giving us you, for sending your son Jesus. I pray that we would go to him for the satisfactions of our hearts. We pray this in his name. Amen.